When we talk about acting as earthly angels, I think about how Alma the Younger, when he was struck down, an angel came and taught him about the Savior. And then later when he was on his mission and he was cast out of Ammonihah, um, the same angel came back and comforted him again and told him he's doing good and to go back and try again. And so this chapter is kind of about that, how there are um, times when we can act as earth, earthly angels and be there for people more than once, um, maybe in their time of trial or in their time of need and always show up and being present for them. I just love that he had his same angel that came more than once because um, I think about there are certain people in my life and I think we can all think of people in our lives that show up more than once and how also I want to be that for somebody else. We're making our way towards the 600th episode of The Cultural Hall, and uh, would love if you want to share your favorite moments over the 600 episodes. Now, you can do that in a couple of ways. One, you can just email us, contact at theculturalhall.com, and say, you know, back uh, when you were talking to so-and-so about such-and-such, when he said this and that, (laughs) I really enjoyed this. And that might be a great way for us to be able to, oh, I don't know, maybe find a clip of that particular conversation and then share that in a compilation episode that's coming up. That could be something we could do. Uh, or if you'd like to record yourself talking about your favorite moment or, you know, eloquently write uh, way more eloquently than I just said that, eloquently write an email and send it contact at the culturalhall.com. Uh, maybe I'll read your emails. Going to do a big 600th episode celebration. Uh, need your help. Otherwise, it just feels like me celebrating myself. And not that I'm opposed to doing it, oh no, but I really would like your feedback. So you can email that all, contact at theculturalhall.com. Now let's get into this episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, and uh, something that we don't talk nearly enough about, uh, both within the church and within The Cultural Hall, is about being disciples, what it means, what it doesn't mean, uh, where we get confused, and so I am excited to be able to welcome into The Cultural Hall for the very first time, Taylor Ricks. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Taylor, love to know a little bit about you, your background, you know, your your church. Are we, are we pioneer stock? Are we converted in a younger age? Give me some of that story. Um, yeah, so I am, most of my family, I think, we, we're traced back to Lehigh. No, just yeah. kidding. <laughs> but yeah, no, we do have a lot of pioneer background in our family, which is fun. Um, and I am a mom. I have four kids. Their ages are 11 to 7. So we just squeezed them in there really fast. Yeah, and so crazy too. That's that's a crazy time of life, yeah? Yes, yeah. very busy, but thankfully they're all in school, right? Yeah. So <laughs> get a little breath of fresh air every once in a while, but, um, it, but it's a lot of fun. And, um, my background is, um, in family studies, um, from Utah state and then from Arizona state, um, behavior analysis is my master's. And so I just like to look at things maybe from different angles, including the scripture. So I've kind of meshed those two things together and I am a, a writer and love to write about the scriptures and things like that. When so. people hear that your behavior analysis, do they like all of a sudden kind of sit up straighter or like, oh, don't, you know, <laughs> you t- t- put that pen down. Don't, don't analyze me. Or do they just go, I have no idea what that really means and sort of move on. 
Yeah, mostly no one knows what it really means. And it's mostly working with kids with special needs, actually. So it's not, I'm not analyzing everyone I meet. So don't worry about it. <laughs> but I do have a son that has Down syndrome. And so I kind of went into that background for him to help him out. So. Now, what is that experience like? Because I know that um, it, it's probably been different from over the years, right? Where a hundred years ago, maybe we wouldn't have understood it that much to flash forward to today where, you know, in, in a lot of cases, it, it's not any different. What's been your experience with that? Um, I think that it helps. Sorry, I'm not fully understanding the question. <laughs> I, 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 guess, I guess I guess my question is, is do do. I think that once upon a time, and maybe I'm projecting, right? But once upon a time, like people just didn't know know how to act around, you know, people with Down syndrome or people with Aspergers or, you know, I guess now we, we you know, we don't even call it Aspergers, right? As we make that journey, right? But, but it seems like now we're getting better. I guess I would wonder, have you seen a transition even within the experience that you've had with your child? Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I do. I think we are getting better, but I do think there's a lot of still room for improvement mm-hmm. because, um, you know, you'll still have, I still will have people ask me like, what's wrong with him? And I'm like, nothing's wrong with him. <laughs> or, or there will be a lot of, um, only like one or two of my other kids' friends will actually play with him. The rest are like, is your brother gone or can we play somewhere else? So I do think we've progressed. I think we do better at I think we do good at sharing the cute videos on Facebook and Instagram of like, oh, they asked each other to prom or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think like in our day to day, we can do even better at, at just being accepting and welcoming. So, And I'm, I hope that we're past the point that you get those cringy statements from other members of the church that, you know, project like, well, in heaven, you know, those kind of things. I'm hoping we're past that. Or does that does that still occur? You know, I think it, I think it still does. And I think people Uh, say it as a compliment sometimes. Well, like we get the compliment, not the compliment, but the statement of, oh, um, special kids go to special parents. And I think people think that that's a compliment, you know, Mm -hmm. but really it's just like, we're just doing our best and we don't see it that way. And so I think we do get some cringeworthy comments still, but I try to look at context when we get those and realize people are trying to relate or or say it'll be okay it'll all work out you know yeah I, I i mean i guess it would come back to what you very first said which is you sort of look at it in a different way right on the surface you could look at it and be like oh my gosh you are a horrible person for that horrible thing that you said wait maybe there's a different way of looking at that and being able to contextualize it so what made you decide to look at discipleship or or you know this this idea of being a disciple in a different way Well, I, um, the way I read the scriptures is I kind of look for what maybe you don't see or what isn't there. And what I noticed is ever since I even started reading them is that there's all these people that are super important in the scriptures that we never talk about. And Mm. if they weren't there, the story wouldn't have even really happened. And so I noticed that all of these people in the background were just being disciples. They were just doing what they were supposed to do, trying to follow Um, the prophet at the time and the savior. And um, the more I thought about that, I thought, you know, those are the people that I relate to. I don't really feel like an Alma or a Nephi most of the time. I'm Mm -hmm. not out there doing these like 
huge things and people aren't going to like remember my name for generations to come or anything like that. But I think that what we do do in our daily lives is still important, just like those people in the background in the scriptures. And so as I started to find that I related to them better, I just found more and more stories to pull from and draw from and realize that that's how most of us are. We're just kind of these daily disciples in the background doing the best that we can, but that that contribution is still incredibly important. I'd love to know one of those examples, maybe from the scriptures that you're like, here's a background person that I really relate to that, you know, isn't that I will go, I will do the things the Lord commands and here we go and chopping heads and all that stuff. Yeah. So first of all, I've, I've got like hundreds marked my scriptures are my favorite, (laughs) but the book only goes through like 10 of them. So it's always hard when people say to pick, but one might be, um, since we're in Genesis studying, come follow me this year Mm -hmm. would be, um, when Lot moved into Sodom and Gomorrah and there was one who escaped and the one went and told Abram and Abram gathered his army of 360 to go and rescue Lot. So I think about a lot, what it would have been like to be that one. It would have been way easier to just escape and get free. He had he or she, I suppose, (laughs) had no idea what was going to happen when they went and got Abraham and if he was going to respond or if he was going to get captured or any of those things. Um, But that person made it possible for lots rescue and saving. Um, And I think about how often we do that. We escape our own heartache or trials or whatever, and work hard to go get rescue and refuge for our loved ones. And then I also think about those 360 in the army who every day were working to be strong members of the army, strong leaders. Um, and they never knew if their call was going to be needed, but the second that they were called and needed, they risked everything to go save the one, which Mm -hmm. was lot. And in saving the one, it saved the others that were with him. Just like when we go out to help save one person, we can help save and lift their family. So sometimes we're just every day doing the simple things like the army probably did, being prepared to go forward when we're asked. So that's one fun. Is it, is it just sort of a, because there's a lot where you're just kind of supposing, I guess, right? Where it's not written. You're like, well, maybe, maybe that's how this was. I don't actually know. How do you, how do you find yourself being able to greater connect to that when, when the details are sparse? I think that it comes down to just putting myself in the story and that's what makes scripture study come alive for me. So when you spend time thinking about what does it take to be a strong army (laughs) and you can think about, you would have to be preparing, you would have to be practicing. So that doesn't necessarily have to be written to know that an army has to be prepared or um, what would it be like to escape captivity of some kind, like the one. And I would then know, like, obviously that there would be some, you'd planning ahead and you'd probably be running away and (laughs) things like that. And then I can kind of know that there's work in that, but I love to just pretend I'm there. And then all of a sudden it opens all these ideas and thoughts of what it might be like. I already like this example because I think that we don't um, do this, right? I think we sort of read through the scriptures and like, yeah, one escaped. All right. What's the next part of the story? And so to be able to expound to, to, uh, gain greater depth of our scripture study, even just by considering, and you're talking about walking it out and really seeing how would it feel to be this, but even if we just took the second to be like, yeah, what about that one? Huh? Let me think. Okay, now moving along. I, I think that 
that uh, that's a tremendous asset when we talk about likening the scriptures to ourselves that I don't think that everybody does. Yeah, it's it's a fun way for me to feel like, okay, that's something I could do. I'm not going to be, I probably don't feel like Abraham, but maybe I could be in the army (laughs) or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So Uh, so you've written this book uh, for Deseret Book. It's Everyday Disciples and uh, 10, 12 chapters. uh, And I asked you to be ready to sort of talk uh, about a few of them. And I know that you want people to uh, get the book. And and so I would encourage people, uh, look in the show notes. You can find the show notes uh, that will have a direct link uh, to Taylor's book there from Deseret Book. But one of the chapters is called Fulfill God's Mission. Let's let's expand that a little bit. Okay. So that one is, and I jumped the gun, because that is the story that I just kind of explained a little bit with the one and the, the army and stuff. But what I try to do in the book is I'll kind of tell you the story about the unseen person. And then I kind of give a a background story that maybe you would relate to more. So maybe an experience from my my life or my friends or people around me. So to further expound on that story, um, I talked about some friends that were recently baptized and they moved in next door and we became good friends with them and their kids and everything. And then um, and after they had been baptized a year, they wanted to be sealed and go to the temple and So we did the temple prep classes with them and everything. And then what I realized in the temple is that I saw these people that represented in my mind, the one and the 360. So to me, the one was like their family members that had been praying for them and putting them on the temple prayer roll and things like that. And the 360, I saw them meet, you know, hug their bishops and release society presidents and their ministering sisters and the people that had made room and time for them. And I just saw like this reunion of all these people that played all these different roles and that by those people's efforts to sit by one person in elders quorum meeting or to invite one sister to release society um i could see this family being united and how that's going to change generations both backwards and forwards and um it just made me really realize that our simple simple daily efforts really do make a difference in in families and so that would be fulfilling God's mission for us is just lifting where we stand and reaching out to the one just um, right where they are, whether they're just our next door neighbors or some new person in our ward or what did that experience benefit you and, and your family, right? You have this family that moves in, they've joined the church, and and you could have very easily just been like, yeah, way to go. Here, if you need anything, let us know. But instead, you decided to walk alongside them. I guess I have two questions. Why did you decide to do that? And then secondly, how did that benefit you and, and your family and your worship? So, <clears throat> first of all, I'm introverted pretty much. And they are very extroverted and was just like, let's do game night. Let's go on date night. And then they kind of created, you know, that, that friendship or whatever. And so then once that friendship and love was there, of course, we wanted to do whatever we could to support them in their growth and journey. And so just one night at a date night, they said, Hey, we want, we want to go to the temple. And um, so we said to our Bishop, Hey, we don't have in our stake, we did not have a temple prep class for adults, just like um, missionaries, you know. Mm-hmm. So we offered if he wanted us to, to teach it in our home. And he thought about it and stuff and asked us to do that. And so then for us teaching, we would get our kids to bed. Their kids were teenagers. So they would come over to our home and we would just talk about the temple for so long. And 
for us, I think it was an opportunity to invite the spirit in our home in a different way. And I think it helped me feel, I think I studied the temple in a different way and saw it through a different excitement and light. And, and so it was definitely more of a blessing to me probably than to them to just be able to revisit that and see it through their eyes. I really appreciate that. I think when we're so hustled, like so many of us are, we have those opportunities and so many of us don't take them. And so I appreciate you being able to share that because, yeah, it makes a difference, right? And now there's a bond between you and those neighbors that likely at some point one of you will move away from the other. But there's that connection from from that time that was spent. It's it's time well spent. Um, I want to take a break for a quick second. And when we come back in the second block, uh, we'll continue to sort of unfold, unwrap some of these uh, chapters from Everyday Disciples. We'll do that coming back in the second block of the Cultural Hall. I uh, want to give a shout out right now, uh, Megan, that is uh, listener Megan. I'm not sure if she's a lifer or a convert here at the Cultural Hall, uh, but she heard me talk about how I do uh, podcast consulting and said, you know what, there's a thing, a, a thing that's been burning inside of me, and I want to be able to share and do this podcast. So she reached out to me and said, hey, what about this? And we're right smack in the middle of that class as I record this. And uh, it's fun to hear her start to do interviews and be able to receive that coaching and me be able to walk alongside her and say, yes, this is great. I love what you're doing here. Oh, you may want to think about doing this a little bit differently and uh, just being able to, to help and nurture and be able to share the things that she feels like she's, you know, truly God called to share. So if you've got something burning inside you, you're thinking, you know what, I've, I've thought about doing a podcast, but is it that easy? Uh, you can reach out to me. I'm Richie T. Stedman on all the social medias, or you can just drop into the DMs for the cultural hall. I answer those too. Uh, would love to hear from you and work with you uh, as you work on your newest, latest, and greatest project. Hey friends, Dan the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. As you know, there's been a huge video card shortage for computers. We have tons of NVIDIA and AMD video cards right now available with complete systems. Check us out right now at PCLaptops.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember that you can become a Patreon saint. It's patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall if you would like to be a financial supporter of uh, the Cultural Hall. You not only get to be a part of the secret but not sacred Facebook group, but you also get to know that the money that you're putting towards the Cultural Hall helps the Cultural Hall continue to exist. You know, one day we may not do this anymore, and it may be your fault. If you didn't go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall, is that guilt? Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, go do it today, and you can be within that group talking with like-minded folks who just love the cultural hall. Again, patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Taylor, uh, the next chapter which you would like to discuss, or, or I guess principle of being an everyday disciple, let's call it that instead, is trust God through the journey. Seems simple, but I'm, I'm thinking that there. As you've mentioned, you look at it a little differently. I'd, I'd love to know what that means. Yeah, so this um, quiet hero or everyday disciple that I talk about in this chapter is actually Ishmael's wife. So we remember in the first book of Nephi that we've all read a thousand times when Nephi goes back and gets Ishmael and his family. And um, as I was just reading that, I was like, she was probably just doing her thing, doing dishes, whatever. And then they're like, hey, do you want to come to the wilderness and just wander around with us and see if we make it somewhere? Mm -hmm. And I just thought <clears throat> she seems 
like they say that they came and taught them what they were doing in the gospel and they believed and left. And it seems like she just went along with it. And I feel like she knew it, it explains that they heard the words of Nephi and believed. So they went. So I think she felt like she was doing what was best for her family. And then she gets out there and some of her kids choose to kind of follow it, but obviously some didn't. They married Laman and Lemuel and seemed to kind of more follow that mindset And so I think about what it would have been like to be her and here you've left your whole home and everything. And some of your kids believe it. Some of them are being stinkers and (laughs) um, making your life a little bit miserable, you know, and then in the middle of all of it, her husband dies. So here she is in the wilderness with all these people, her husband dies and, and it had to have been quite trying. And I feel like it relates a lot to, to our lives um, too, that we're like, doing what we think is best. And sometimes our kids choose not to agree or gain testimonies of their own. And sometimes tragedies happen and we're just like in the middle of our wilderness, like what is going on? I'm trying to do my very best here. And I just thought about how what she didn't know is that surely someday people from her very line sat you know, in third Nephi at the feet of the savior, when he came to the Americas and she would have no way of knowing that some of her posterity throughout time was probably known for righteousness and some of them for wickedness and that they went through all of this journey. If you think about the rest of the book of Mormon, some of those people had to have been in her posterity. And so her willingness to just keep going forward, just keep trying, keep doing and being a humble disciple made that possible for her posterity, even though in the moment, things probably felt really heavy and dark and bleak. Have you had a moment where you feel like her, where you're like, come on, what are we doing here? And and what did you learn through it? Yeah, I, <laughs> uh, yes, I feel like all the time. It feels like all the time. I feel like I've, um, sometimes you feel like you're giving everything and it doesn't work out. I think what it has taught me is that um, maybe to redefine what work out, the definition of work things working out are in my mind and in my life Um, because there's such a bigger picture. And so sometimes if it doesn't work out in the, this short, like year timeline or five-year timeline, it doesn't mean that there wasn't a greater purpose or a greater reason. So that's the example of sister Ishmael to me is, is looking beyond right this minute. What does that uh, redefining workout look like uh, a little bit more? Because I think that uh, all of us do that, right? Like, hey, you know what? I live the principles and the promise is an easy life and, you know, all these things. And we're and we're sorely disappointed, I think, if we really understand it. But how do you look at that differently? Um, so that made me think of a conversation I had with a friend a few years ago. We were both going through a really difficult time in our lives that were very similar to each other, a really hard trial. Um, and the details of that don't really matter, but I remember her saying something like, you know, I remember being in young women's and felt like if I did everything right, I would have kids that did what I wanted and a husband that did everything I wanted, you know, and that everything (laughs) would just go smoothly and we would just have this picture perfect family. And so she said, and I agreed that when things went differently than we expected, it felt like we God kept his promises to everyone else, but that he had maybe forgotten us, you know, and then we talked about, but what are his promises and his promises are that he'll, 
always be with us. He'll be on our right hand and our and on our left, and he'll carry our our griefs and our sorrows. And then we realized he really was keeping our promises, and he really was there. So when I change the definition of working out, maybe I can change it to be like looking to see where Christ was through all of those hard times. And even though it didn't end or or isn't going how I expected, it's working out if I can see his hand in it. Hmm. I like that. Learn one another's stories is another thing that you talk about in everyday discipleship. I'd love to know what you mean by that. Yeah, so for learning everyone's stories, I talk about how um, after the people of Alma left wicked King Noah and went out into the wilderness and they're heading towards Zarahemla. And at the same time, we have the people of Limhi who escaped their captivity and they're trying to get to Zarahemla. And then they all arrive and they arrive in two different groups. And when they got there, Mosiah received the first group with joy is what it says. And then the next group comes and Mosiah received them with joy. And then the next thing that he did is he had everyone gather. And I think about this and I'm like, you know, that would have been a lot for the people already living in Zarahemla. We have all these essentially refugees that were running away from captivity or scary situations who had experienced war and trauma and all of these things. Um, and then it would be like, your town would feel very full. And like, I'm sure they had people sleeping on their couches and all sorts of things, accepting all these people into their home. And so what Mosiah did is he gathered everyone and he caused that all of their records would be read to everyone or all of their stories. And I think about what that might've been like, like a big, I don't know, state conference or whatever, and sitting shoulder to shoulder with people. And I wonder if like this, there was one sister crying as he was reading the war chapters, remembering her husband that might've passed away or, or whatever it was and remembering their stories and looking around, realizing these are stories about the people that I was sitting next to. And as I think about that and I, and, and then after he read all the stories, it said that the multitude was struck with wonder and amazement. And I think about that. And I think about when we take the time to sit among our brothers and sisters and truly learn their stories, I believe it's impossible to not be struck with wonder and amazement and to build this unity that comes in no other way. And so I kind of talk about the different things that separate us or that we allow to separate us sometimes, whether it's sometimes we allow race to be part of it or um, diff- very so many things. Political that we can kind stuff, of allow. sure. Yeah, all sorts of things. But when we take the time to really sit with each other and sit in each other's stories and hear them, and we will be struck with wonder and amazement. We will be amazed what our brothers and sisters have gone through. And I think we'll be more open to receiving them into our hearts, into our communities, and into our, our congregations. How do we do that, do you suppose? Is it is it an issue of like just inviting that family in your ward over, hey, come over for dinner, or... Is there something within the walls of the church that you propose that maybe we could be doing better or different? Or what's the practical application for those that are like, yes, you bet, Taylor. Now I don't know how to do that. Well, you know, and sometimes our stories are so hard that we're not really, you know, people aren't ready to share them. So then that also makes it weird. It's Mm -hmm. not like it's just you invite them over for dinner and be like, so tell me everything. (laughs) And people are ready, you know. Um, But I think what we can do 
is we can assume behind every person is a story because that is true. Mm -hmm. And we can handle people with love and grace, assuming that they have been through hard things because this life is hard for everybody. Mm. And so um, until we do it, it will take time to create those bonds and those friendships. And maybe it's over dinner. Maybe it's over, you know, talking in this, you know, on the sidewalk at, in on a summer evening or something like that. Um, and over time, we'll actually learn those stories. But until people feel comfortable to share them, I think we can just assume that that person's been through a lot and I'm just going to love them through it anyway. I love that. That's really awesome. I wish we would do that <laughs> or more yeah. of us would do that. I suppose that there are some when we probably can flash in our mind to those that we know that do do that. But man, if more of us could do it and be able to remove some of those barriers that keep us from doing that, whether it be sharing our stories or being open to other stories, it seems like that would be sort of a different experience in our communities and in our church community. Uh, the, the next one that you have is act as earthly angels. I'd love to know a little bit more about that. And know that also, as soon as I read that, the old song Earth Angel by the Penguins is in my head, and that will be my earworm for the remainder of the day. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, no. We'll have to think of another song on the way out. <laughs> um, Okay, so when we talk about acting as earthly angels, I think about how Alma the Younger, when he was struck down, an angel came and taught him about the Savior. And then later when he was on his mission and he was cast out of Ammonihah, um, the same angel came back and comforted him again and told him he's doing good and to go back and try again. And so this chapter is kind of about that, how there are... Um, times when we can act as earth, earthly angels and be there for people more than once, um, maybe in their time of trial or in their time of need and always show up and being present for them. I just love that he had his same angel that came more than once because um, I think about there are certain people in my life and I think we can all think of people in our lives that show up more than once. And how also I want to be that for somebody else um, is just always being a consistent presence in people's lives and, and knowing when to show up and being in tune with the spirit to know when to show up. Will you tell me about your angel? So this story is kind of a long one, so I will try and condense it down for you. Um, but I, my oldest son has some learning delays. And so when he was little, he started speech therapy and all of these things. And it was really difficult. And we finally found a really good speech therapist and spent years with her. And she was amazing. Then fast forward a couple of years and we adopted our son, Zane, who has Down syndrome. And he was born with cataracts in both eyes. So he needed an ophthalmologist that um, did surgery on his eyes. And it was, it's a lengthy process. He's seven and it's still a lot of doctor's appointments with this ophthalmologist. Um, and so we became close with him. Well, after one of Zane's surgeries, he was put on a feeding tube. The surgery did not go well. It was, it was just not good. And I was very stressed out. I didn't know how to handle the feeding tube or any of those things. And um, was just praying for some answers in this hospital room. I was pregnant. My husband was deployed and I was had three little kids and I was just didn't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, walks in my 
first son's speech therapist. And I didn't realize that she was also the hospital's feeding therapist. And because I had spent years with her in this tiny speech therapy room, we had quite a friendship. And I just remember sobbing because she was like my angel that showed up more than once um, and came and helped me and taught me how to do the feeding tube and set up appointments for feeding therapy. And it was just, for me, it seems silly, but for me, it was a miracle that it was the same person. And I didn't have to like start over there. I had so many other things to worry about, but I had this person that I knew and who knew me. And then um, probably a year or two after that, my oldest son, the one that had the speech therapy, woke up with his eye completely swollen out of his head. It was really, really scary. It looks like maybe a tumor was behind it. I didn't know. And so I called that ophthalmologist and he's like, bring him in right now. And I took him in and he had a thing called orbital cellulitis and had to be in the hospital for a week and CT scans and all sorts of things. Um, but once again, that eye doctor, he had been a hero to me in the foster care process and everything with my son, other son. And there he was again. And um, all the doctors in the ER and stuff were like, how did you get in with ophthalmology? That's impossible. And it was just because I knew I had this friend and um, he would come and check on him, even though he wasn't given he wasn't given my son as a patient. One of his um, colleagues was, but he just knew what to say and when to say it. And he shows up over and over again. And I know that's kind of a job of a doctor, mm -hmm. <laughs> but he, I just kept running into him in the hospital at different times and things like that. And that particular week, um, all three of my boys ended up in the hospital that week. Wow. So it was just a between surgeries and an emergency and all sorts of things. Um, but yet these people just kept showing up even when I didn't know they were going to be there. Is there a time where you feel like you have been uh, prompted by the spirit to be someone's angel? Um, those same friends who we went to the temple with um, uh, about six months after we went to the temple, they called me um, and said, can you hurry and get to the hospital? And their daughter was um, all of a sudden unresponsive. She was um, 14 at the time and she suddenly passed away. Oh so we, I got to the hospital uh, um, right as she had passed away. Um, and it, she had a medical condition that she was born with that nobody knew about. And so she was fine that morning and, and by lunchtime had passed and um, I remember I was far away, like an hour away, um, and I'm always home. So why was I gone that day? Of course you do that, you know. But I remember as I was driving, and I was praying that she'd be okay. And the whole time I'm driving, the, the spirit was prompting me like, okay, you're going to need to, you're going to need to call this person and you're going to need to do this and you're going to need to do that. And I was like, I'm not going to need to do it. She's going to be okay. But it was very clear what I needed to do. So clear in that moment, who I needed to call, what I needed to do. And I don't know if I was their angel, but um, being able to be there with them through that in the hospital and then through her funeral and through the years now that it's been since and the bond that we had to, to love that sweet girl and, and to mourn her passing, but to hopefully be a support to them. I was grateful. I think I learned through that experience that when we have the opportunity to be there through people in their darkest times, it's definitely more of a blessing to us than to them, for sure. The fact that they allowed me to be a part of that is humbling, and I'm really grateful for it. Yeah. 
Powerful examples of discipleship. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back in the third block, we've got a couple more and then three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. We'll do those coming back in the third block. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, I want you to stop and think for just a moment, who would benefit from listening to this episode of the Cultural Hall? Then I want you to go to that little URL line, or maybe you're just going to send them a message and then send them a link uh, to wherever you get this show and say, hey, you know what? You'd really like this episode with Taylor Ricks. You should listen to it. And then I want you to actually press send on whatever kind of message that is. Share the Cultural Hall with your friends, with people in your ward. You can even, if you'd like, if you don't know anyone in your ward or you don't have any friends, maybe, for example, you can just share it randomly to some person. That's fine. I'd love it if you did that as well. Uh, this or any of your favorite episodes of the Cultural Hall. Taylor, uh, we've got a couple more that you've sort of highlighted. Uh, give all they have as an every disciple. I'd be curious to know what you mean by that. Oh, this person is from the New Testament. Finally, we're moving on to the New Testament. And it's the lad that gave the loaves and the fishes to the Savior. And um, every time I read about that lad, I've heard gospel scholars say that he maybe was there with the food to like give it to the um, apostles and to Christ. So I guess he was like the first food delivery service. I don't know. <laughs> but but we actually don't really know why he was there and why he had the food. I think that's like kind of an educated guess. And so I kind of think about it like, what if he was just like walking along and saw the multitude gathered and the savior there and stopped and we have no idea what his plan really was for those loaves and fishes. Um, and he was sitting among 5,000 men and, and women and children. And I, I don't think he thought that those loaves and fishes would feed everybody. Like, of course he didn't, you know, he may have felt like it was inadequate. I don't know, but either way he went and gave all of it to the savior hmm. and he allowed the savior to do with it, whatever he felt necessary. And, and by giving it to the savior, he was able to witness one of the savior's greatest miracles. Um, and whatever plan he had for the food, he was able to give it to Christ and Christ made it way better and, and way bigger. And, um, I think about that as also that then the savior blessed it and then he broke it. And I wonder if, you know, as he broke it, it didn't really look like loaves and fishes anymore. It looked like little um, chunks and crumbs and it, it, but it was through the breaking that he was able to give it to everybody. And then the savior had all that was left be gathered up that not a fragment of it be lost. So not only did it feed everyone, but there was still more to give. 
And so when I think about myself as the lad, I think that there are times in our lives where we feel like we are giving everything and maybe we feel like it's just inadequate. It's not enough. Like these little loaves and fishes that I'm giving are not going to make a difference. They are not enough. But when we dedicate it to Christ and we give it to him, he can make huge miracles out of our small little offerings. And whatever he can do with what we offer is so much greater than what we could do alone. And that sometimes he takes our offering and and sometimes he breaks it. Like it feels like nothing came of it. It feels like we can't even recognize what it was. Um, But I believe sometimes that through the breaking and trusting him in it, that that's when the miracle comes. That's Mm -hmm. when not a fragment of what we give is lost. And it also makes me think of our savior. He was absolutely perfect and his body was perfect. And he gave all that he had and it was bruised and it was torn and broken. And maybe it didn't was unrecognizable. His offering was unrecognizable at the end of his atonement and crucifixion. But it was through that breaking that he was able to um, give us the greatest gift and miracle of the world. And so I just love that, that we can give what we can give and trust that he will make it happen and trust that the process. Yeah. That's a powerful way to look at that scenario. I don't know how many people have walked that out before when we look at our lives, maybe like the loaves and, you know, Christ breaks them and we're like, no, a perfectly good loaf. It was an easy loaf. Why didn't we do the easy way? That loaf was great. And he's like, no, 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 you're missing it. Let's let's break this up. Let's, you know, make more of it than you could possibly ever made yourself. I love that. I love this way of looking at these things. Um, the last one that you have lined out is carry others to Christ. Yeah. So this, um, I kind of talk about it in two places in the book. One is when Christ comes to the Americas and asks um, um, the people to carry the sick and afflicted to him. So that's one. And he didn't just say, come forward, sick and afflicted, but he asked the people to bring bring them to him and he would bless them. And then the other is the man with a palsy. And I think of his four friends that picked up his bed and carried him to Christ. And then they removed the tiles off of the ceiling and lowered him down. And I think about those friends and maybe they had to leave their families at home or what their jobs, whatever it was. Maybe they had to plan, okay, we're going to take this path or whatever. I don't know. I wish I did know. (laughs) Um, But nonetheless, they went and they carried their friend. And I'm sure there were times that got heavy and difficult and hard, but with every step, they got him closer and closer to Christ. And I am a task oriented person. So I imagine myself as one of those friends. And I think I would have been like, so focused on the task, just getting him there. Right. And then I imagine being on that roof and looking down and realizing not only did we bring our friend to Christ, but here we are, we are with Christ too. And I realized in both of those scenarios that through the carrying, we also get closer to Christ. It is impossible to carry someone to Christ and not physically and emotionally be at his feet ourselves. And so I think about that in our lives. I think most of our lives are dedicated in so many ways in trying to carry others to him. Um, And I think we forget that while bringing others closer to Christ, we too will find him and sit, sit at his feet as well. 
When you think about discipleship and whether this is in the book or, or maybe it's just something that has been kind of an afterthought after the book has been written or or maybe you just carry this as kind of your your message that you'd like to share with everyone. Is there a particular thing that either you feel like we're doing really well or that you just want to wring everybody's necks and be like, you're just not getting this point? And if so, what is it? You know what? I think that we are too hard on ourselves and too hard on others. Hmm. I think we set up some really big expectations of ourselves and others. And we think that discipleship is this big fanfare, but I think it is so much more simple. I think it's just our simple, just waking up and trying to be the best we can be today. And, and when we have a mistake or whatever, we struggle, we just keep going and we try again. And I think we act like we have to be the release society president and we have to, or the Bishop and we have to do all these grand things and we have to be well-known and remembered and all of these things. And I just think it's so much more simple than that. It's, mm. it's showing up with our loaves and fishes. It's sitting with a friend in Relief Society or in Elders Quorum. It's just the simple. It's sitting with a child and just hearing their story about the day. It's just simple things. And when I think about the Savior's ministry, almost all of it, besides obviously his atoning sacrifice, so much of it was just simple it was just being with people. It was just, it was just being present and, and just simply seeing the need in the moment and telling someone that they had value and were loved. And so that is what I think we do too much of. We hmm. just over, we overcomplicate it. <laughs> yeah. Well stated. Taylor, there is three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the culture hall. And I will ask those questions of you now. The first question is, is do you have a calling? And if so, what is it? I do. Our ward is kind of tiny, so I get to have two. That tells you how desperate they are, that they would trust me. (laughs) No, they just trust you a lot. That's all that is. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, ah, we we have no one left. Um, So my first is I'm the ward disability specialist, which is kind of fun. We have um, a lot of individuals with special needs in our ward, so that's fun. Um, And then I am the ward primary primary chorister. Sorry. Um, and that is so fun. Those kids are so sweet. What, uh, to go back to the first calling, what does a ward disability specialist do? Just make sure that everything is accessible or, or that there are activities for individuals with disabilities or what, what does that look like? I I've never heard that calling before. Yeah. So it actually is in the handbook that, and we should all have one. So yes. that's a shout out because it's a super important to members of the church with disabilities, but, um, so sometimes every once in a while, you'll like go to ward uh, council and counsel with the um, people there to try and figure out the best ways that we can accommodate. But it's mostly just working with like, I'll work with the families. So I'll go and meet with them and see what their needs are of parents or adults that have disabilities and then meet with the auxiliary over them to try and find ways to help meet their needs, whether it's like special primary teachers or different just different things like that, or to how to make young men's and young women's more accessible, or so just like an advo- kind of helping being a go-between, an advocate kind of. Yes, yeah, I like mm-hmm. that, and and it's in the handbook, and everyone should have one. So bishops yes, listening to the cultural hall, too. get one and get one for your stake, stake presidents for crying yes. out loud. If you could Eat pick, them. if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Okay, so one that exists would still be primary 
chorister. Mm-hmm. It is so fun, but it's so busy and exhausting. But <laughs> I, if I could make one up, I think it would be um, like efficiency manager. <laughs> okay, tell me I what you mean. I love when things. I love when things just like flow and go really smoothly. And in the church, we're pretty good about that. We have a lot of systems set up. But sometimes you'll be like at a word activity, and you're like, "Oh, if we would have set it up a little differently, this would flow so much better." And that is super nerdy of me, but mm-hmm. like I just love efficiency. I would. You're I'd like have two rows for the buffet. Go on both sides of the table. That kind of stuff. All sorts of stuff. You name it, I probably could find something. (laughs) You're like, the hymn book says this should be at a 92, and we're singing at an 80. Let's get this efficient, people. Come on. Let's get it going. Yeah. (laughs) The last question we ask everyone who steps in the cultural hall, we ask you to interpret it uh, however you may. But the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? My favorite part of my faith is knowing I don't have to face anything alone. (laughs) I think that I've had a lot of times that feel really lonely, um, but I've always been able to draw upon my heavenly father and realize I don't have to face anything alone. I love it. Uh, The name of the book is Everyday Disciples. You can find a link to purchase that book in the show notes. And remember, if you use the the, uh, promo code Richie, you can save yourself 15% on all of the books uh, that we interviewed the authors from Deseret Book here in the Cultural Hall. So use that promo code Richie. If it doesn't work, email me, contact at theculturalhall.com, because I'll tell them that needs to still be working. We can get that taken care of. Uh, uh, We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast, Brother Brent, and Miracles, I told you so, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.